Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 505. Welcome in uh, to the podcasting pickup truck. I'm in a different location. Here's what I want you to expect. If you're watching on YouTube today, uh, different segments will be recorded in different locations throughout the day. By the end of the episode, we're going to be talking about Monday Night Football, and it's going to be pitch black. So prepare for that. Visually, things will change as the episode goes on. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, hey, it should sound exactly the same the entire episode. You shouldn't even notice the difference. You won't even be able to tell. Um, hope we're doing very well. I got to say, I'm really happy. Uh, I just gave my two weeks notice at the restaurant I've been working at. Life's going very well. Uh, the canopy should arrive very soon behind me. Got an update about that. And I got to say, I I think personally that the podcasting pickup truck is the best idea I've maybe ever had. I drive around. I bring my office with me everywhere. I don't have to pay for a studio. It's so much fun. And I think visually it's more appealing. I love it. I'm a bit disappointed that more people don't also love it or recognize what it's, you know, the potential for the space and the show being this way. Uh, a lot of people... In fact, are upset, and it makes my heart very sad, but I personally love what I'm doing, and I think where we're going to go in the next, I mean, both literally and physically in the next couple months is going to be incredible and really cool, and um, we're at the beginning of a really fun journey, and I just think that as this goes on, and as I record more and more in the truck, and we we build out the back, and things keep going, it's going to be awesome, uh, and I, I see where we're going, and I already love it. Like, I, I drove around today, I watched football in a really cool park with a beautiful view. I think the fact I can take my office with me anywhere is unbelievable. That's the advantage of being a YouTuber and a podcast host and being able to work remotely. I'm going to take full advantage of that and take this with me everywhere I go. And so, uh, man, I just, like I said, I, I'm, I'm disappointed more people don't like see the potential in that idea. Uh, but personally, I am very, very happy. Now, let's jump into topic number one today. During NFL Week 2, the Miami Dolphins beat the Ravens 42-38. to This was a wild game. I loved it so much. Like, oh my goodness. I was fired up. I was yelling on my Instagram story. I was so stinking happy. Uh, here's what I didn't love. The Ravens led this game 28-7 to at halftime, then 35-14 to uh, by the start of the fourth quarter. Look, I... I would not consider myself a Miami Dolphins fan, but I am very much rooting for their quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa. I'm very much rooting for uh, their head coach, Mike McDaniel. And I I wouldn't tell you I was rooting for Miami to beat Baltimore. I don't really care. People, in fact, think I hate the Ravens, and I don't hate the Ravens at all. I, I do not. It's very weird to me. Uh, but I, I want to see Tua do well. I, I would be heartbroken if they lost horribly and Tua looked bad. And that is not what happened, thankfully. Uh, but as someone rooting for Tua what was really cool was that they came back and won. Now, it's worth saying before I get into the comeback and all the stuff that happened, I want to give a shout out to Baltimore. Uh, two weeks in, watching the AFC North, watching the Browns, watching Cincinnati start 0-2 and look really questionable, watching the Steelers. They're fine. They're better than people realize, I think. But right now, Baltimore, the Ravens are the best team in that division, the AFC North. And Lamar Jackson, their quarterback, had four touchdowns in this game against Miami. Zero turnovers, ran for over 100 yards, had an incredible long run. Uh, Rashad Bateman, their former first-round receiver, had a 75-yard touchdown catch. And I think Lamar Jackson is throwing the football 
better than he ever has in his career. He looks outstanding. And um, I, it's so cool the progression Lamar has made from his time at Louisville to where he is now. He's so much better of a quarterback. He's a better passer. It's unbelievable. Uh, he deserves the contract he's going to get soon. And uh, I, I just am really excited. And I want to say, yeah, people are hating on the Ravens' defensive coordinator. They had a great lead. They gave it up. Had a couple rookie corners playing. Their defense wasn't at 100%. And to this day, uh, I don't think anyone, two weeks in, we're not very far into it, but yet... Bill Belichick had no answers week one to the Miami Dolphins offense. And I think it's okay that with a bunch of rookies playing and a banged up secondary. Yeah. I don't know how you stop Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. The Ravens didn't. Uh, and by the way, the Ravens had the ball a lot in the second half. They scored 10 points. So it's not all, all on the Ravens defensive coordinator. But again, you look at the stat line for Lamar Jackson. He played incredible. It's hard to find fault. I think you just sometimes have to go, hey, they had us. The Dolphins played an outstanding game. And that's the story of this game, though. The Dolphins and their quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa. Dude, I am I'm so stinking excited. Week one, when Miami beat New England, I walked away wondering, what's going to happen if or really when the day comes that Miami plays against a high-powered offense that's going to score a lot of points? I wondered, can Miami and Tua keep up with that kind of offense, keep up with Justin Herbert or Josh Allen, or I think the Vikings are going to score a lot of points. We'll see how they play in Monday Night Football. I was worried that they would not be able to score enough points to win a shootout. Week two, we got our answer. Tua Tungavaloa, the Dolphins quarterback, was 36 for 50 passing, 469 yards with six touchdown passes and two interceptions, one which I think was a contested ball, and I would not find fault with him there. Uh, Now, I look ahead on the Dolphins' schedule. And there's a bunch of exciting games. Games that used to make me very nervous that now I'm very excited for. I think Miami might be able to win these games. Week 3 and 15 against Buffalo. Terrifying, really good opponent. But hey, Miami can score a lot of points. We're now learning. Maybe they can keep up with Buffalo. Week 4, Cincinnati. Cincinnati's got an 0-2 start, but they got a lot of great receivers. They're going to score points this year. I don't care who you are. Bad start, they'll bounce back. Cincinnati's dangerous. Uh, Week 6, Minnesota. They're going to score a lot of points. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. Week 14, L.A., Justin Herbert. Week 16, Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. Those are games that stand out to me on the Dolphins' schedule. On a fairly fairly favorable schedule, by the way. The Dolphins have a lot of winnable games as you look ahead on their schedule. But these six games are games that I go, ooh, that's a really good quarterback. That's a good football team, a good receiving core. For whatever reason, these are teams that can score a lot of points. Now we know, oh, Miami's offense is capable of keeping up. They can score and do it in a hurry. And again, no one yet has found an answer. Bill Belichick couldn't do it week one. Uh, The Ravens couldn't do it. We're only two games in, but so far nobody has an answer to stop Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. In this game, Tyreek Hill had 11 catches for 190 yards and two touchdowns. Jalen Waddell also had 11 catches for 171 yards and two touchdowns as well. By the way, the tight end, Mike Gusecki, the tight end of Miami, really talented as well. He had a great touchdown catch in the end zone. Great ball. Tua throws it high along the back line of the end zone. Mike Gusecki makes an awesome catch for a touchdown. So as someone who is rooting for Miami, I 
Now, I would not call myself a Dolphins fan. I don't have a favorite team in the NFL, but I love the people in Miami. I'm rooting for the people there. I love Mike McDaniel. He's an awesome head coach who I'm rooting for. His answers, his interviews, they're so fun. Tua, guy from Miami, someone who a lot of people didn't believe, or sorry, a guy from Hawaii who people didn't believe in early. He was a left-handed quarterback who's got an awesome family. I'm rooting for Tua. And as someone rooting for the people there in Miami, I've developed a new fear. I went from worried, I don't know that Tua's going to work, I don't know that they can score enough points, to now my fear is, oh my gosh, I hope Jalen Waddell or Tyreek Hill do not get hurt. I That's my new fear because, man, no one, uh, again, no one has found an answer how to stop them, and I'm really not sure what you do. I, I, I don't have an answer. They are just going off, and they're going to keep going off this year. By the way, Mike McDaniel so far this year, two games in, Looks like a home run of a hire as a head coach. Great hire. He's winning. Tua looks really good. The first two games of the year, Mike McDaniel, a rookie head coach with no head coaching experience, man, has beat Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh, two legendary coaches, guys who have both won Super Bowls, who have a ton of wins under their belt. Go listen to Mike McDaniel in the postgame press conference. He's awesome. He's easy to love, easy to root for, um, and, and so far... Looks like a great hire by the Miami Dolphins. And remember, when he was hired, a lot of people were skeptical, by the way. People were saying they should have hired Sean Payton from New Orleans. They were Mike McDaniel came out of nowhere and surprised a lot of people. And a lot of people were like, who is this guy? Mike McDaniel? Why is Miami, Miami hiring him? Well, so far, two games in, um, looks like a great hire. We'll see if that continues. You know, by week 17, it could be a dumpster fire. But right now, looks awesome. By the way, you know who I'm happy for right now? Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, think about this. He used to live in Kansas City. I got nothing against Kansas City, Missouri, or Kansas City. What's the other place it's at? Missouri and, I guess, Kansas. (laughs) It's got border town. Uh, I got nothing against Kansas City. I know that in December, I would not want to live in Kansas City. It's very, very cold. Football season in Kansas City is a cold, tough place to live. Miami's not. Miami's warm. There's great weather. Think about this. Miami, Tyreek Hill now lives in Miami. It's warm. It's beautiful. There's no estate income tax. He's getting paid a ton of money and he's winning. And by the way, winning because of the huge impact he's making. I would imagine Tyreek Hill has found his time so far in Miami to be very, very fulfilling. I'm happy for him. Now, two games in, uh, I think Miami fans just have to feel great. You're on top of the world. You have beat Bill Belichick, a longtime division rival. You beat the Ravens. Your your quarterback had six touchdowns in one game, tying a franchise record. And coming into the NFL, uh, the narrative about Tua was that he compares to Drew Brees, where he doesn't have the biggest arm. Tua is not the most mobile quarterback we've ever seen. But with good coaching and support, Tua could become a guy who could succeed similar to Drew Brees. Remember, there was once a day a long time ago where a Nick Saban-led Miami Dolphins looked into bringing Drew Brees into their franchise. Didn't work out. He went to New Orleans instead. They brought in, I believe, Dante Culpepper. Since that moment, Dolphins fans have been having to live with the fact that they could have had Drew Brees. Then on draft day, the same day that Tua Tungavaloa was drafted by Miami, the guy drafted right behind him, number six overall, Tua's number five overall, right behind him was Justin Herbert. And Dolphins fans have had to live with the fact that, oh my gosh, we could have had Justin Herbert. I am really hoping for the sake of fans in Miami that Tua becomes the next Drew Brees. They could have had Drew Brees, they didn't. They could have had Justin Herbert, they didn't. 
hopefully the fact they could have had Justin Herbert isn't going to matter because Tua becomes the franchise quarterback they've been waiting for for a long, long time. Week two against Baltimore, Tua looked like a guy who, frankly, he played like Drew Brees. Like he really accurate, making big time throws down the field, taking advantage of great matchups. I thought Tua played outstanding and I walked away excited and very, very hopeful for Tua and Miami. Now, next week, Miami plays Buffalo. The Buffalo Bills are a Super Bowl favorite. They're outstanding. It's a division matchup, huge game, and a tough game for the Dolphins. We know, hey, Miami can score a lot of points, and they can do it in a hurry. And I am really curious, what is Buffalo's game plan to stop Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle Last year in a playoff game against Buffalo, Tyreek Hill had 11 catches for 150 yards and a touchdown. And now this year, you also got to guard Jalen Waddle. He's alongside Jalen Waddle. I don't know what you do. I walked away from week two feeling very hopeful for Miami. They gave me hope that maybe they really could beat Buffalo week three. I'm stoked about Tua. I want to see Tua succeed so, so badly. He looked really good. And uh, this weekend against Baltimore, frankly, the offense reminded me of Tua's days at Alabama where... They got a lot of talent around him. He's just executing at a high level, doing the best he can, getting the ball out of his hands, putting it in the hands of really good playmakers. And guys are open deep. Guys are open short. It was unbelievable. I don't know why I didn't see this coming. I guess it makes sense. Hey, Tua looked outstanding at Alabama with really great receivers around him. It kind of makes sense that, oh, you give him Jalen Waddle, who, by the way, played with him at Alabama. Oh, and you give him Tyreek Hill. Yeah, of course they're going to be great. I didn't see this coming. I was nervous, and I've been kind of a wreck emotionally feeling like, do I really have to? If Tua doesn't work out, that's going to be really hard for me. I, I love Tua as a person. I root for him. If he's bad, I, I have to say it. I have to call it like I see it. That'd be tough for me. I, I would take no joy in saying that. I've been really guarding my heart. I even put out a video. Like, I'm skeptical of Tua still. I'm not sure that I trust it. This is the first time into his NFL career, a quarterback I love and I want to see succeed. I saw him give me hope and he made me feel like, you know what? This, this could work out. This could be outstanding. So now the only fear I have left is I just am praying that Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill do not get hurt. But I think I walked away feeling encouraged after week two. And I can only imagine how a Miami Dolphins fan must feel. Tua looked awesome. Huge comeback win. And be easy on the Ravens. I, I, I don't know what you do on defense to stop Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. No one has the answer yet to do that. We'll see what Buffalo can do week three. But I walked away feeling very, very hopeful about Miami after NFL week two. All right. Uh, I'm going to take a short break. And uh, that's it. I'll be right back. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. We're going to talk about um, Monday Night Football at some point. That hasn't happened yet. I'm recording early on Monday. I'll watch that. By the end of the show, I'll be recording in the dark. I'm just going to record as the day goes on. I love you. I appreciate you. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Welcome back. Uh, I thought I was going to record after Monday Night Football. Technically, that's still true, but it's Tuesday afternoon, not late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. I thought I'd be recording at like 3 a.m. on Tuesday. Turns out I'm human. Uh, I got to sleep. I apologize. Uh, although I promise I am doing the very best I possibly can. Let's continue talking about NFL Week 2. Um, and I, I want to say, first of all, before we continue the show, I'm doing well. And a lot of the stuff I have to say feels very negative. And I, 
I don't like that, but it's also, I feel like I'm reporting what I saw. And, you know, Trey Lance got hurt. Seattle is disappointing. Monday night football kind of sucked. Um, I, we'll talk about what I, I have a lot to say here, but I, I, as I, I feel like I'm about to give you a negative show. My heart isn't negative. I don't mean to be negative, but a lot of the stuff we saw week two either wasn't good or was disappointing. So let's jump into it. During NFL week two, the 49ers beat Seattle 27 to seven. And uh, here's the big news from this game. 49ers starting quarterback, Trey Lance broke his ankle and he is now out for the year. He got hurt on a designed quarterback run right up the middle. It was just a regular second and eight play in the first quarter. And, uh, you know, now the result is that one game and a quarter into the year, five quarters into the season, Trey Lance, the 49ers young quarterback, is out for the year. And look, I believe that 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan deserves some of the criticism for this injury. I know he's not intentionally getting people hurt. He's not the guy who broke the ankle. He's not choosing to injure his players. But philosophically, I do not like how Kyle Shanahan historically has used his quarterbacks when they have the ability to run the football. When Kyle Shanahan gets a quarterback who's got the ability to run the football at a high level, he leans on that ability way too much. You see a lot of design quarterback runs, running between the tackles, using his quarterback basically like a running back or kind of like a wildcat quarterback. And history will tell you, this is not the first time Kyle Shanahan has had a quarterback get hurt under his coaching. RG3, under his coaching in Washington, got hurt. Trey Lance even got banged up last year. Now he's out for the year. And I absolutely love when a quarterback can run the football. It's one of the reasons why I look at college football right now, and it's such a blast to watch. There are so many guys who can run around and make plays. Caleb Williams, Bryce Young are two that come to mind. I'm like, man, it's so much more fun when a quarterback can run around and extend plays. And if I'm a coach, that's who I would want to work with, as a guy who can run around and extend plays and can avoid sacks and keep plays alive. And in today's day and age, it's becoming a necessary part of the quarterback position that you have the ability to run around and extend plays. But running for a quarterback is a tool, not a crutch. And Kyle Shanahan, in my opinion, leaned way too heavily on designed quarterback runs with Trey Lance. This has always been the case with Trey Lance. I've always been like, I don't like how much he runs the football. I don't like how many hits a guy's taking. And it feels like it cost him here. The entire 2022 season now is not going to be one that Trey Lance, the former number three overall pick, is going to be able to play in. And that's unfortunate. And I think some of this goes on Kyle Shanahan. Now, fortunately for Coach Kyle's sake, uh, the 49ers still have a quarterback who can play, Jimmy Garoppolo. He came in off the bench. He played pretty well, won the game. And uh, look, Jimmy G can be the starter all year for San Francisco. He's done it before. And, And in fact, in kind of a weird way, Trey Lance getting hurt ends any kind of quarterback controversy that there could have been because now there literally can't be one. They only have one quarterback who is starting caliber, and it's going to have to be Jimmy G the rest of the year. And Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do a good job. He's done a solid job in the past. He, uh, you know, before he got replaced, he took the 49ers to two NFC title games. He took them to a Super Bowl. They lost, but still, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is solid. Even if he leaves something to be desired, he's still a decent quarterback who's going to do well. 
But it has to be a frustration for 49er fans that they have no idea really how good Trey Lance is. It's tough. It's a big unknown. I I think there's a lot of talent there. I've compared him regularly to Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. Although, we saw something week one that I don't mean to delve into the personal life of Trey Lance. But, like, I, there's something that happened with Trey Lance that I just, I don't, I can't imagine Justin Herbert doing this. I can't imagine Josh Allen doing this. Let's recap 2022 so far for Trey Lance. Week one, he looked bad. He did not throw the ball very well. I was as generous as I possibly could be and blamed it on the weather. I said, it's rainy, it's wet. Let's try to see Trey Lance in better conditions. But then after the game, and I saw like a post on Instagram, it's hilarious. Like, hey, the real stat of the week is that somehow he got a shower, did his post-game interviews, and still an hour and 20 minutes after the game ended, was in a strip club throwing ones around. I don't know how you do that. I, it's a terrible look for your quarterback who, after a loss, after looking bad, you're at the strip club turning up. That's terrible. I can't endorse that. And I cannot imagine Justin Herbert in his first year starting in L.A. doing something like, something like that after a loss. That's not a good look. So after a bad loss with a bad thing event that happened afterward, week two, he broke his ankle. He's out for the year. Oh, yeah. Also, by the way, before the year even started, his team made a point to re-sign their former starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, a move that did not feel like a vote of confidence, in my opinion. So, Trey Lance is in a confusing spot. I think he had an immature moment after the game, going to a strip club. I don't, look, I don't, I've got vices. We all have vices. I take too many edibles. I do dumb stuff. But that's a bad look for your franchise quarterback after a loss like that to be caught in that moment. You're not James Harden. And James Harden rightfully gets criticized a ton for that kind of stuff. Um, the dude has a lot of talent, Trey Lance. He's a former number three overall pick in 2021. I think he's got potential to be the best quarterback in that draft class. Trevor Lawrence is awesome. I think Trey Lance can do stuff running the football that Trevor Lawrence simply cannot do. But right now, it's still not clear whether he's even going to become the long-term solution at quarterback in San Francisco. Let alone, is he going to become the star quarterback I think he's capable of becoming? And what's even worse is it's going to be a long time before we get answers. He's now not going to be on the field all year. We got to wait a whole nother year till we find out how good Trey Lance really is or can be. And I would imagine for 49ers fans, that's incredibly frustrating. And it feels like kind of a waste of a year. Like we drafted this kid. We hope he's our guy. There's a lot of doubt surrounding him. This was the year, the kind of the objective of this season was to figure out how good is Trey Lance and how good can he be and progress him and get him better. Now it's just a year we, he's going to be recovering and waiting and hopefully growing as a player and watching film. And I, I hope he can learn a lot from Jimmy Garoppolo simply by watching film and going to practice and being engaged from the sidelines. But man, is this not good news for Trey Lance? It's not good news for 49er fans. And the fact that now the uncertainty is going to continue on for a whole nother year surrounding Trey Lance, that has got to be a massive, massive blow to the 49ers franchise. There's a lady who pulled up next to me. I'm in an empty parking lot, by the way. Like, there, there, there's so much room, it's not even funny. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm in an empty parking lot, and this lady shows up with her son blasting music in the spot next to me somehow. I'm not sure why. I, I don't know why that had to happen. What a, what a ridiculous and frustrating thing to have. Like, 
I kind of like the chaos of this show. I, I lean into that stuff. But I feel like it's just a social norm. You, you have a whole parking lot. You had to really pull up right next to my truck. I, I don't know. I, and we looked, we made eye contact. I'm like, lady, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. She's gone now. Frustrating stuff. This past weekend had to be really discouraging if you are a Seattle Seahawks fan. They lost to the 49ers 27-7. And the only touchdown they scored was when they blocked a field goal and ran it back for a touchdown. Seattle's offense looked boring and crappy, which is actually what I expected them to look like coming into week one. Then when they beat Denver in that game week one, I thought, hey, maybe I'm wrong. I had some hope. I had a glimmer of, hey, maybe they're better than we realize. But now after week two, I I think it's, I've kind of swung back the other way. I think it's very possible. The Denver game week one was kind of a fluke. And, you know, Seattle was down 20 nothing at halftime. They punted five times. They had three turnovers. Geno Smith, their quarterback, wasn't horrible. He was 24 for 30 passing, had 197 yards, one interception. But it wasn't great either. It was crappy and boring. And unfortunately, the best offensive play of the day for Seattle was a double pass to DK Metcalf. He made this crazy catch, like one-handed, kind of falling down. Got called back. They had an ineligible man downfield. I believe it was Abe Lucas, their rookie right tackle. One positive note is that Geno Smith, their quarterback, only got sacked two times in this game, which is way a very surprising thing to me, given that Seattle has got two rookie tackles. But just, a, you know, the word for Seattle after week two is discouraging. It was ugly. And we're going to see how the next couple games go for Seattle. But personally... If I'm a Seattle fan, um, I would be rooting for a bad year. I mean, honestly, I would want an opportunity to draft Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. And I look at Seattle right now. What they really need is a young, dynamic quarterback, which is exactly what Bryce Young is. And unfortunately, uh, what we saw in week two was just a team that there's not a lot of pop there. There's not a lot of exciting stuff going on. It was discouraging. It was frustrating. I don't know if that will continue. Is it going to be week one that's going to be the, the theme for the rest of the year for Seattle? Or is week two really, truly what Seattle is, which is kind of a, a boring offense that can't get a lot done? And are they going to get shut out a lot? I mean, losing 27-7 to and your only touchdown is on special teams, that's discouraging. And I just, I walked away from week two, frankly, kind of feeling bad for Seahawks fans. Monday Night Football during NFL Week 2 sucked. I'm not sure why it was decided to have two games going at the same time. Uh, That seemed stupid. Both games were ugly. It was a weird day. I mean, Buffalo in game number one beat Tennessee 41-7. to And the game was close for like a quarter. And then (laughs) the Bills went off. Josh Allen had four touchdowns. Uh, The craziest stat from this game, by the way, was that Stephon Diggs, Bills receiver, had 12 catches for 148 yards and three touchdown catches. And in contrast, the entire Tennessee Titans team, as a receiving core, the entire receiving core, had 12 catches for 123 yards and no touchdowns. Stephon Diggs had more touchdowns, more yards, and the same amount of catches as the entire Tennessee Titans roster did receiving. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, This game was a beatdown. Ryan Tannehill, the Titans quarterback, had two interceptions. Uh, I turned this game off in the third quarter when... His second interception went for a pick six, giving Buffalo a 41-7 lead. Apparently, rookie quarterback Malik Willis did come into the game after that point. I didn't watch it. He went one for four passing. 
uh, for six yards. Eh, like, great. He made his NFL debut in the regular season in garbage time. I, I would love to see Malik Willis play someday, uh, but not not in that moment. And even if, he, if he'd actually done something noteworthy, he had like he ran for like 16 yards, I guess. I don't know. I just I don't have any interest in watching that kind of game. It was frustrating that I don't know why we needed two Monday Night Football games, but this was an ugly, ugly beatdown. Now, game number two is Minnesota at Philly. I was genuinely really excited for this game. I thought, hey, Minnesota's got this new head coach, Kevin O'Connell. Things are different this year. I expected a fun offensive battle. And I want to tell a story. One time I was camping with my friends. We were all drinking soda around the campfire. And my best friend's cousin likes to chew tobacco. He was spitting into an empty soda can, and his soda can was right next to my soda can. Mine was almost empty, and I went to take my last drink. I really threw the drink back and tilted my head back, and um, I was expecting sweet carbonated soda. Instead, what I got was warm tobacco and spit. It was a horrible, horrible experience. This game was kind of like that. I expected a fun offensive battle, and instead what I got was Philadelphia winning 24-7. to Philly was awesome. Credit to Philadelphia. They played great. Minnesota's offense was really, really disappointing. Kirk Cousins, their quarterback, had three interceptions. Um, I got to give credit to Philadelphia's defense. They actually were outstanding. Minnesota could not win one-on-one matchups at all, all night long. And by the way, Justin Jefferson, Minnesota's number one receiver, who some people regard as maybe the best receiver in the entire NFL, he had an awful, awful day. He was targeted 12 times. He only had six catches for 48 yards. And uh, two of Kirk Cousins' interceptions came when he was targeting Justin Jefferson. Interception number one was on a post route where, for some reason, Justin Jefferson ran behind Eagles corner Darius Slay. He kind of hung Kirk out to dry. He ran behind the defender and kind of stopped his route. Kirk was expecting him to win inside. Gave Darius Slay a really easy interception in the end zone. The second interception was on Kirk. Uh, Kirk Cousins had a defender in the flat route. Just kind of sitting there waiting for him to throw the football. I don't know what he saw. He threw it. It got picked off. That was a bad decision. That one's on Kirk. But interception number three is another one where he was targeting Justin Jefferson, this time throwing a fade route, and it got picked off by Darius Slay. Dude, Darius Slay made two interceptions, had an incredible day, just beating Justin Jefferson one-on-one over and over and over again. And I would even go as far to say that Darius Slay shut down. Justin Jefferson. And I want to say this. I don't want to hear or see Justin Jefferson talking crap for a while. Like, sit down and shut up. I keep seeing videos of him talking about how, you know, he stole, you know, Jamar Chase stole a bunch of my moves and I'm the best in the league and this and that. And it's a whole lot of garbage. You can't talk all that mess and then play that bad on Monday Night Football. Just not acceptable. Can't do that. You got shut down by Darius Slay. Justin Jefferson, no more talking smack for a while. I'm burned out on it. You can't talk smack and then play that bad on Monday Night Football. By the way, after this game, Kirk Cousins is now 2-10 in his career on Monday Night Football. Two wins, 10 losses, which is hilariously terrible. And people get mad at me when I say that, you know, Kirk Cousins doesn't handle big moments very well. I think at this point, the record speaks for itself. He's 1-3 in the playoffs. He's 2-10 on Monday Night Football. 10-18 in primetime games. And right now, Kirk Cousins, if he finishes his current contract, which goes through 2023, 
he will have made $231.6 million during his NFL career. All while he is right now 60, 60, and 2 as a starting quarterback in the NFL. I I just, the narrative from Kirk is not being changed at all. I was hoping that Kirk was going to change the narrative that he's kind of a mediocre quarterback and struggles in big moments. We're only two games in. We'll see how the rest of the year goes. But um, right now, the Monday Night Football struggles continue. And putting up a three-interception game with the world watching, you know, at least all of America watching, that's a really, really bad look for Kirk Cousins, who I'm hoping this year can change the narrative that he cannot handle big moments. All right, um, I want to give a shout-out to Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray. After week one, I was very, very critical of him. I said he did not play well enough to justify his massive contract. Well, uh, this past weekend during NFL Week 2, Kyler led his team to an awesome win over the Raiders. The Raiders were leading 20 to nothing at halftime. Arizona was getting absolutely dominated. The offensive line was struggling. Kyler Murray was under constant pressure. He wasn't getting enough help from his receiving core. And yet somehow, Kyler Murray found a way to win this football game. And I want to give Kyler Murray a ton of credit. That is how you bounce back after a Week 1 loss. He was down 20 points. He made a ton of big plays to bring his team back. I think the best play by far was a two-point conversion where they were down 23-13. to 13. They need a two-point conversion to make it a one-score gain, an eight-point game. And Kyler just put the team on his back. He ran around for every extended a play. He ended up back by the 20-yard line, ended up taking it for himself all the way into the end zone for the two-point conversion. The play lasted 20.8 seconds. It was absolutely unbelievable. And uh, look, A.J. Green dropped a touchdown. Arizona's offensive line, they're a problem. Uh, When you give Kyler Murray time to throw, he's pretty dang good. However, unfortunately, through the first two games of the year, he's been constantly under pressure. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is still out with, you know, uh, four more games left on his suspension. This was an ugly game. Arizona did not play well, but Kyler Murray overcame a lot of obstacles. And I was hard on him after week one. I believe that's deserving. When you're making $230 million, I'm going to hold you accountable. Someone's got to hold your feet to the fire. But what comes along with criticism when you deserve it is when you do something that's deserving of praise, I I want to praise you. And week two was an awesome win. And Kyler Murray deserves a lot of credit for his outstanding effort against the Raiders week two. Like I said, I try to be incredibly fair. When you do stuff that deserves criticism, I'll call you out. But when Kyler Murray does something like he did here, which is play outstanding and bring his team back from a really bad deficit, um, I think that also deserves praise. And so Kyler Murray, round of applause, well done uh, beating the Raiders week two and making just a ton of plays and overcoming a lot of really, really challenging obstacles that I don't think a lot of quarterbacks could have overcome. Now, um, the Raiders were pretty disappointing during NFL week two. They had a 20-0 lead in the second half. And uh, they lost. They only scored three points in the second half. The Raiders are 0-2. It's not a great start to the Josh McDaniels era in Vegas. They lost week one to L.A. Derek Carr had three interceptions. Now, I have some patience here for Derek Carr. The Raiders played four preseason games, one more than everyone else. They played in the Hall of Fame game as well. Derek Carr didn't play in any of those preseason games. I think it's fair that when you're in a new offense, you haven't got any live reps yet. Hey, you have some time to grow. I'm okay with some growing pains. But still, with an 0-2 start, 
starting the way they have. Derek Carr, three interceptions week one, a 20 nothing lead in the second half week two, you lost. I think the Raiders have had a very, very disappointing start to the year, and um, it, it's frustrating. Now, the Raiders aren't the only team that's been disappointing to watch so far this year. Uh, there are four other teams I've found disappointing as well. The Colts, for example, uh, they tied Houston week one. Week two, they got embarrassed by Jacksonville, 24 to nothing. Indy was talking about a Super Bowl going into the year. They're like, we brought in Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's on a quest for a Super Bowl. Well, uh, I hope Matt Ryan has a couple of years because it looks like they are nowhere near a Super Bowl right now. Remember when the Colts got rid of Carson Wentz and they acted like they solved their problem? Look where they are now. They, they still can't beat the Jaguars on the road. And uh, they just have an older quarterback who's not as physically gifted. Like, I don't know how... Matt Ryan's awesome. I'm rooting for Matt Ryan. I hope it goes well. But it's like, oh, yeah, look! The Colts solved all their problems. They got rid of Carson Wentz, and now suddenly they're a great football team. Oh, no. Uh, wait, they're not. They still have lots of problems they're working on. So, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's really, really wild to see what the Colts are going through right now. Denver's also been underwhelming. They lost to Seattle week one. Uh, they then struggled week two against Houston. Russell Wilson didn't play at all in the preseason either. And it kind of shows. Uh, Denver's been really bad with clock management and in-game decision-making. Nathaniel Hackett, their head coach, has never been a head coach before. And that's painfully obvious. I'm rooting for him, but still, wow, they've been ugly to watch. And I worry that Denver added Russell Wilson and still is going to finish last in their division. Now, uh, the Bengals are 0-2. It's been an ugly start. They lost week one to Pittsburgh. Joe Burrow had five turnovers. Week two, I thought for sure they would win because they were playing Dallas, who didn't have Dak Prescott, playing a backup quarterback, Cooper Rush. They lost again week two. And so Cincinnati been highly, highly disappointing this year. Uh, in two games, Joe Burrow has been sacked 13 times. Their offensive line is a absolute disaster. Joey B is getting hit a ton. And it's ugly. The Bengals have been very, very disappointing. So, so far, the Raiders, the Colts, Denver, and Cincinnati. Let's add Carolina to the list. They are 0-2. And uh, it's not really a shock that Carolina's not doing very well. But it is disappointing. They added Baker Mayfield. Uh, I was hoping that adding him at quarterback would... Finally, with him healthy, by the way, be the boost they needed to win close games. And, you know, week one, they kicked a go-ahead field goal with a minute left and still lost to Cleveland. Week two, Carolina lost to the Giants. They got the ball with, you know, three minutes left, down three points, and couldn't score. Carolina's had opportunities to win, but they couldn't. And I wonder if Matt Rule, their head coach, is going to survive the rest of the year because... It's just really not been good for Carolina. They've had years and years of struggling, and they're playing in close games. They're still not winning. It's not happening. And, you know, those are five really disappointing teams to start their first two weeks of the year. The Colts, the Bengals, Carolina, Denver, and Indy. All right, um, guys, it's been such a chaotic, hard episode to record. I've had, I've had people heckling me, like literally. I had a woman pull up next to the car. The safety guy, the security guy for the parking lot just sat next to me for like five minutes flashing his lights. I ignored him and kept going. This has been one of the most difficult episodes to record in the history of recording in the truck. I'm doing the very best I can. Um, 
I'll listen back to it. Hopefully it sounds fine, but it's been a really frustrating episode. It's hot as hell in here. The sun is shining on me. I don't want to wait any longer. I want to get this episode out. I don't want to wait till like midnight to record this episode, but there's a reason why I record at night. It's because the lighting's better. It's because there aren't people around bothering me. Um, I don't know, man. If anyone ever wonders why I often record the podcast at night, it's because there are so many fewer factors to worry about when you record at night. Just no, nobody bothers you and it's not as hot. So, uh, just a heads up. That's what often happens and why I often record at night. All right. Uh, let's talk about college football week three. It was not a great weekend of college football. Georgia dominated South Carolina, uh, 48 to seven. I was really excited about this game because I wanted to see how South Carolina's quarterback Spencer Rattler handled playing a really great defense, an SEC-level defense, Georgia. How would he handle that kind of moment? Uh, Spencer Rattler was 13 for 25 passing with 118 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. His first interception came on a throwback wheel route to his running back. It was kind of a weird decision where he made this indecisive throw, almost like he was trying to throw it back shoulder, but wasn't sure if he wanted to throw back shoulder or maybe out of bounds. I, was he throwing it away? I'm not really sure. Uh, he was picked off by true fresh Malachi Starks, by the way, who is a stud. I love this kid, Malachi Starks. Um, 18 years old, first year playing college football, absolutely dominating. Uh, interception number two for Spencer Rattler came when South Carolina was down 38 to nothing. Spencer Rattler threw a deep ball into double covers, got picked off. Honestly, Spencer Rattler did the best he could. He had a nice deep ball to Jaheim Bell. It was a perfect throw into, you know, against really good coverage. But South Carolina was just outmatched. I mean, I don't know. I, I appreciate that South Carolina didn't just roll over. They really went down fighting. They ran a fake punt. They went for it on a fourth and nine later. Um, they got dominated, but they really did give their best and try everything they could. And I find myself really rooting for South Carolina's head coach, Shane Beamer. Uh, I just I want to see them do well at South Carolina. I'm rooting for them a lot. Now, Georgia, they're the best team in the country in college football. They've outscored their opponents 130 to 10 through three games. They beat Oregon 49 to 3. They beat Samford 33 to 0. Beat South Carolina now 48 to 7. Georgia, they're better than Alabama. Georgia looks like what Alabama looked like a couple of years ago, where they were just absolutely obliterating people. They've got NFL players all over the field. Their tight end room is incredible. Malachi Starks is unbelievable. There's so much depth and, and talent everywhere. Like, their receiving core is better than Alabama's. I mean, Alabama's got a, a receiving core that's not as experienced. They lack some speed. Georgia right now is just unbelievably good. And I, I find myself such a fan of their quarterback, Stetson Bennett. He's executing at a high level, uh, but he's also making plays, man. He is taking full advantage of every opportunity he's gotten at Georgia and playing outstanding. Stetson Bennett can go head-to-head with any team and any defense in the country. And right now, honestly, I expect Georgia to repeat as a national champion in college football. Now, Oregon dominated BYU 41 to 20. I stopped watching in the third quarter when Oregon was up 38 to seven, but this was a good win for Oregon. It supports my belief that uh, the Georgia game just is not a very good representation of who they are as a team. And I don't think you can read too much into that Georgia loss for Oregon. Texas A&M beat Miami 17-9. Texas A&M switched quarterbacks to Max Johnson uh, for this game. He was LSU starter last year. He's also Brad Johnson's son. 
Uh, Brad Johnson does trick shots on TikTok, by the way. Kind of funny. Former NFL quarterback as well. Um, Brad Johnson, sorry, uh, Max Johnson was fine. I was excited to watch Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke in this game, but Miami was just badly outmatched. Uh, his receiving core didn't help him very much at all. He was under constant pressure. It was disappointing because I just, I wanted to see their quarterback showcase his talent. And I felt like in a game where he was severely outmatched, he wasn't able to do that. Now Miami kicked a field goal down 17 to three on fourth and goal, which was just a very weird decision. It seemed like a rare opportunity in the red zone that Miami didn't appreciate. Like Miami didn't seem to understand, hey, you're not going to get a lot, a lot of opportunities to score in this game. And down 17 to three, kicking a field goal rather than going for a touchdown, making it a one score game felt like a really weird moment for me. And I just didn't really understand why Miami didn't seem to appreciate the gravity of the moment. Now, USC beat Fresno State 45 to 17. Uh, Caleb Williams had four touchdowns for USC, two running, two passing. Fresno State quarterback Jake Hanner got hurt in the third quarter. Um, that sucked. He got carted off. He had two turnovers in the game. He had an interception on a Hail Mary before halftime, uh, and he fumbled on the play he got hurt on in the third quarter. Luckily for him, it was just a high ankle sprain. He will be back this year, but um, not the offensive battle I wanted. I wanted to see more of Jake Hanner. I was hoping you would uh, do more in this game. I do think Jake Hayner is underrated. I think he's at least going to be an NFL backup, if not a guy, a Gardner Minshew level guy who could win some games when he gets an opportunity. I, I think Jake Hayner could surprise people at the NFL level, but Caleb Williams is unreal. You know, this upcoming draft in 2023, Bryce Young is probably going to be the number one overall pick. In 2024, Caleb Williams is going to be the number one overall pick the next year after that because Caleb Williams is just unbelievably talented at the quarterback position. Uh, LSU beat Mississippi State 31-16. to Brian Kelly got his first uh, SEC win with LSU. LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels looked pretty good. He had two touchdowns, one running, one throwing. Jaden Daniels is running the football very, very well. Um, and really the only big storyline from this game I found interesting was that LSU stud receiver Kayshawn Booty is still not producing at a high level. He's a preseason All-American. In this game, he only had three catches for 31 yards. Kayshawn Booty's just been a huge disappointment this year. I don't know what's going on there at LSU, but he seems unhappy and seems really, really bad and just not, not making an impact at all for LSU as a receiver. Now, all in all, college football week three was pretty weird. Alabama played Louisiana Monroe. They won 63-7. to Ohio State beat Toledo 77-21. to Michigan beat Utah 59 to nothing, or UConn, excuse me, 59 to nothing. Basically, every ranked team in college football played an easy game to get ready for their conference play. There was one upset, unranked University of Washington beat number 11 Michigan State 39 to 28. That was probably uh, the most exciting upset of the game, uh, of the week, excuse me, in college football week three. I thought... The personal favorite moment for me in college football week three is watching Appalachian State. Um, you know, I want to recap the year so far for App State. Week one, they lost to North Carolina 63-61. to They almost won that game. Week two, they did win. They upset Texas A&M 17-14. So they beat an SEC team, Texas A&M. Then week three, Appalachian State got college game day to come to their small town, Boone, North Carolina. And week three, going into the final play of the game, Appalachian State losing to Troy, 28-24. They threw a Hail Mary in the final play of the game. They won the game 32-28. It was wild. It was fun. I thought that was my personal favorite moment 
of college football week three. But all in all, this was not a very compelling weekend of college football. Um, there was that fun game, but for the most part, college football week three was kind of a dud uh, as most teams were preparing for conference playing, kind of playing an easy game again. Louisiana Monroe, all these just easy game after easy game for almost every team in college football. So, uh, guys, that's all I have for this episode. Kind of a weird, chaotic episode. I honestly, I want to get this episode out. If I don't like the recording quality that I find because I'm just distracted this episode, I'm going to uh, probably come back tonight to the same location and record after dark when there's fewer people around and people aren't bothering me. Uh, but I really want to move on because the next games I want to watch, I want to watch Daniel Jones. I want to watch Tom Brady against the Saints. I want to watch the Colts and Jaguars game a little more in depth other than some highlights and seeing what happened. I want to see how Baker's doing after two weeks in the NFL. I want to answer some Ask That questions from patrons. I want to move on to the next episode of Strong Opinion Sports. But um, if for some reason this episode just doesn't look very good or doesn't sound very good, I will come back to this location and record it. I want to put out quality content, but... I'm dying, you guys. I got two weeks left on the job I'm working on. Uh, I'm tired of the restaurant. I'm ready to move on. Um, but I, uh, I got two more weeks of... It, it's really frustrating working a job on Sundays um, when you you want to watch football. Uh, thankfully, money's good and I don't need a job anymore. But it's been a frustrating time in my life and doing the best I can. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.